leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The Campaign for Sustainable Rx Pricing, Coalition of Healthcare Stakeholders, thinks the rising cost of prescription drugs can be addressed through a series of market-based solutions that will strike a balance between preserving innovation and ensuring affordability. Its recently released plan outlines steps to increase transparency, competition, and value. We spoke to John Rother, Executive Director of the Campaign for Sustainable Rx Pricing, about the organization its focus on market-based solutions, and what it'll take to make them a reality. John, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. We're going to discuss the campaign for sustainable RX pricing and your recent proposal for change to address the rising cost of prescription drugs. Let's start with what's been happening what have we seen in terms of the rise in drug prices? Is it across the board or concentrated in certain types of drugs? Well, we've seen uh, a lot of activity in almost every sector of uh, pharmaceuticals. Uh, the ones that are getting the attention because of their eye-popping prices are the uh, biologics and specialty drugs that address cancer and other uh, forms of you know, personalized uh medicine, the uh, prices on those are uh, upwards of $100,000 for a course of treatment. But uh, we've actually seen increases in older drugs as well, uh, almost uh, almost entirely across the board kinds of increases. For example, Pfizer raised almost its entire catalog of drug prices by between 5 and 20% earlier this year, even for drugs that have been around for years, and there's no additional research or additional uh, value uh, involved. And, and finally, we've also seen uh, some instances of big spikes in the generic uh, industry, which we think of as lower cost. But uh, you know, when you get to a point where there's only one manufacturer, uh, sometimes that manufacturer tries to uh, generate revenue simply by raising the price. And uh, that's what led to the $5,000 increase on a very old drug that Turing Pharmaceuticals uh, put forth. And also uh, the controversy around Valiant. So there's different aspects of this. But the common thread is that prices in general are... uh, 
out of control and are driving higher health care costs for everyone. Is there something that's been driving the rise in prices or has it just been a variety of reasons? Well, I think it's really two or three things. Uh, certainly, uh, the new technology involved in biologic drugs and some of the specialty drugs is inherently more expensive. Uh, but, you know, the uh, increases among older drugs seems to be uh, simply uh, a matter of the drug companies trying to appeal to Wall Street uh, more than to their patients or to their customers. And, um, you know, we... Uh, have been pushing back pretty hard on some of those because, again, there's no particular uh, value justification uh, for those kinds of increases. And, of course, the generics oftentimes are uh, been characterized as abusive, uh, where you have these very large price increases on older drugs. So, yeah, each one's different. You've characterized the solutions you've proposed as market-based. Why are you advocating market-based solutions as opposed to, say, price controls or other government action that would regulate pricing? Well, uh, we may actually have to get to that at some point, but I think uh, in the United States, uh, we typically want to first uh, see if we can make a market work. And uh, in this case, I think a market could work. It has worked in the past, and uh, we've put forward some ideas that can, uh, in our uh, belief restore uh, market uh, ideas around greater transparency, around more and faster competition, and uh, finally paying for value, uh, setting the drug's price according to how well it works. And I think with those, we could actually get back to a functioning uh, competitive market. Well, let's walk through those three elements. Let, let's start with transparency. What do you mean by transparency, and how do you envision that being implemented? Well, today, uh, we really don't know what the basis is for a company that sets a price on a drug. What's, uh, what's the comparative value of that drug compared to other existing drugs? Uh, what's the likely benefit to the population? What are the savings to the healthcare system uh, from adoption of a new drug? Uh, so that's the kind of information that we need to make a more informed, uh, rational decision about the worth of a drug and about its appropriate price. How about competition? What do you mean in that regard, and what would you do to increase that? Well, there's several things, but the most obvious is to uh, bring down the backlog of approvals now uh, approaching 5,000 applications at FDA, uh, mostly for generics. Uh, but the fact is that we have a lot of potential competition that's simply um, in, uh, <laughs> blocked from uh, entering the market by bureaucratic delays and resource delays at FDA. So uh, that's uh, the simplest, most straightforward thing that we need to do. Uh, you know, the other thing we could do to help uh, true competition is to uh, re-examine how much is spent on marketing. Uh, drug companies spend uh, quite a bit more on marketing, especially direct-to-consumer advertising, than they spend on research and development. And that's part of the reason why drugs are so much more expensive in the U.S. than they are in other countries, because other countries do not permit that kind of marketing. So we think we ought to re-examine 
the balance between how much is spent on marketing versus how much is spent on developing new drugs. There's been an ongoing battle with the industry and the Obama administration, which on several occasions has unsuccessfully tried to reduce the period of exclusivity for new drugs. Is that on your agenda? Yes, it is. Uh, my members believe that uh, the extended exclusivity period is anti-competitive and uh, was, a mis was an error in policy. And although it's not going to be something that can be turned around very quickly, uh, we do think that uh, that's worth re-examining uh, because we, again, we believe in a competitive market and uh, extended exclusivity is extended monopoly protection, which uh, is inherently anti-competitive. Do you see anything being done to accelerate or increase the viability of biosimilars as a competitive source in the market? Well, that's a very promising uh, development that's just now um, starting to come into the marketplace. So uh, we certainly want to encourage that. Uh, we have not proposed changes uh, other than shortening the period of exclusivity. Uh, we do uh, want to see greater attention at the FDA to moving those into the marketplace as quickly as possible. The third major component you call for is value. How do you measure value and, and who measures it? Well, right now, uh, that's an open question. Um, I think the best example of measurement is being done by a group in Boston, the Institute for Clinical and Economic Research, ICER. Um, and they do a very sophisticated job of uh, assessing the value of pharmaceuticals. So. Uh, basically, in my mind, it's um, trying to measure uh, what drugs work, how well they work, and how well they work compared to other, uh, either other drugs or other medical procedures. So um, it's, it is a complex issue. It's not um, a simple approach, but I think it's absolutely crucial, and it's the direction the entire healthcare system is moving uh, paying for value instead of paying for volume, instead of um, just uh, going with whatever price the uh, manufacturer sets. Is there a way to leverage the data that's being ga gathered by providers in real-world settings to somehow discern value better than we're doing today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can now uh, look at people who take uh, certain medications versus people who don't with the same diagnosis, I'll follow them for years and make a determination about uh, how well the new drugs work or don't work compared to uh, other approaches. And uh, I think this is going to be a very important set of information data uh, to help determine value. So th these are big issues and, and they require a lot of data analysis and you know, with that comes expense. What do you see as the biggest barriers to implementing these? Well, uh, I don't think we're uh, in denial about how serious these barriers are. Uh, certainly, a big barrier is uh, the resistance of the pharmaceutical industry to change. And uh, we want to uh, engage in serious conversations with the industry about how to uh, 
promote these ideas in a way that preserves the incentives for research and development, preserves innovation, preserves uh, the bringing to market of new drugs that have real potential to to cure disease. Um, So I think that there's uh, an opportunity there that we haven't yet experienced of uh, let's work together. Beyond that, as you mentioned, there are uh, conceptual barriers and financial barriers. Who, who actually does a comparative effectiveness uh, work? How does that get applied to setting prices? Uh, our belief is that that is uh, heavily um, more flexible if it's done in the private sector. Uh, government traditionally uh, takes longer and is more cautious. And uh, perhaps with good reason, but in this uh, arena, we'd we'd like to see some changes go forward uh, that are negotiated between uh, purchasers and sellers, as uh, is true of the rest of the economy. We can certainly debate the true cost of drug development. I I think most people, though, would agree it's expensive and risky. How how do you balance affordability with innovation, particularly when the new drug development is so dependent on attracting investment? Well, certainly we recognize that um, and, uh, again, want to uh, preserve and promote it. Uh, But, again, uh, the industry spends a whole lot more on TV ads than they do on research and development. So I I think there's plenty of room uh, to see changes uh, without touching uh, the resources available for new drug development. Uh, we understand, of course, that it is risky. We understand that it needs to be able to attract uh, capital. Uh, but uh, I do believe that we can achieve a much better balance between innovation and affordability through the uh, kinds of ideas that I've been discussing. What's the path forward is for the campaign? You've released your proposal. What now? Is there a, a dialogue with policymakers and industry? How do you How do you get them to sit down at the table with you? Well, we've already been in dialogue with uh, policymakers, uh, every presidential candidate, for example, and uh, leaders within the Congress, and that certainly will continue uh, as we prepare for a new administration and a new Congress next year. Uh, What I hope we will also see um, is uh, serious discussions with the industry itself, uh, because I, I really do believe that uh, they have to recognize the current course is unsustainable. Uh, it's, it's simply not affordable to continue uh, current setup. And I think that they can be very uh, constructive uh, with the right set of incentives and motivations. Uh, and I do believe that the industry has a stake in avoiding the most uh, severe uh, kinds of uh, remedies, such as uh, government price setting, uh, which, you know, may be necessary in the end if we don't see some change and uh, openness to uh, a more market-based solution. John Rother, Executive Director of the Campaign for Sustainable Rx Pricing. John, thanks so much for your time today. It's my pleasure, Danny. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, 
subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.